ceases to be a hardship in many ways, um, not just for them, but as I find myself praying, because I desperately want what I want too. I want what you want. I want what countless other families want. But most importantly, I find that those need to come second to what God wants. And I'm going to tell you why this morning, because I, script, I believe the Scriptures have already told us. So, I'm sorry. I just don't want to lose the momentum. I want to pray, skip the joke, and go right into things. Father, we... Thank you for your grace and your goodness and your mercy that you lavish upon your children. And I pray that, Father, as we come to this time together, as we open your word, as we talk about prayer, that you will help us become more of a people of prayer, O Lord. That, Lord, you will remind us Lord, of not just how important it is that we communicate with you regularly, daily, but that, Lord, you would show us your love, why it is crucial, wonderful, blessed to be able to be in a relationship with the God who created us who made us in your own image and gave us the ability through your spirit to hear from and speak to you. Oh, how wonderfully made we truly are. Lord, we give you the glory and invite you, the creator, into our lives. Lord, we know we invite you through the reading of your word and through prayer. So, Lord, show us how it is that we can pray, how we should pray, why we should pray. Lord, that we might come to know your heart deeper and more intimately. That we come to know you because you desperately want to know us. I pray these things and ask that you bless our time of study together, convict where there needs to be conviction, comfort where there needs to be comfort, and if there is conviction, let there be comfort. For these things I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them with me to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, It is also in your bulletin as well as on the screen for you this morning. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 7, and I know the bulletin says we're reading to 12, but that was a whole other sermon just in that one verse, and I figured you would just like one today, amen? (laughs) So we'll we'll spare the second one for another time, so we will read verses 7 through 11 this morning. Scriptures read like this, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? This passage is one in which has undeniably caused much discussion as well as much confusion among the church down through the centuries. While this passage has been a source of tremendous comfort for some, for others it has been a source of grave upset. I have been among many believers who quoted this scripture in faith and and, and wanted to see and feel its truths to be made known to them then as it had been in the past. And yet I have also been among other believers who quoted this passage as well as non-believers alike, who have quoted this passage in disdain toward God for seemingly not answering their fervent, persistent prayer. Almost as to ask, why make a promise you're not able or willing to keep God? Even in my own prayers, especially when gathered with others who find themselves in very difficult situations, I find that I am not always calling on this wonderful promise for fear of upset that this scripture will not provide the false hope that some people seem to find in it when the situation that they are in looks more grave than it does optimistic. Sometimes to us it seems as if God pays much attention to others in their prayers, but to us in our prayers it seems like God may have gone deaf. That His note to help us got lost in His desk somewhere in His papers and files. But the truth is, surely God has answered many of our prayers down through the years that we have known and served Him. But these moments are too quickly and easily overshadowed by our present upset in God's seemingly lack of action on our behalf. We cry out, are you there? Are you listening? Do you even care, God, in moments such as these? that He does care, and He indeed loves you very much. Despite how you might have felt in the past, how you may feel presently, or those that you have been gathered with at other times, believers and non-believers alike, I want to remind you that the truth is, Christian, He does care, and He indeed loves you and I very much. And despite our upset with Him in moments where He seemingly does not answer prayers as we have asked or we desired, He has and He will continue to work together for the good of those who love Him. That is in God's Word. That He will continue to work together for the good of those who love Him. And you see, church, love truly is the key to this passage. And it's the love that the Father has for His children. But to truly understand and access the promise of the Scripture, we must first understand the sort of love that our Father God expresses to us, His children. 
The key to it all is found in verses 9 and 10, which again read like this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Again, read this passage and and think of it in the context of yourself as a parent. Or if you were a parent. Or think of your parents toward you. Again, which of you, if your son asks for bread or your daughter asks for bread, will give him or her a stone? Or if he or she asks for a fish, will give him or her a snake? Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? That's the point. Jesus isn't just talking about earthly parents, but he speaks first of our natural parents to help get our mind around the concept. He's speaking to those who have raised children and those who are children that have been raised to get our minds around the concept. So that's where we should begin as well. And I need to ask a question to all of you all who are parents. And the question is, when does true joy fill a father or a mother? When does true joy fill a father or a mother? Now, I don't truly know the answer to this personally, but I asked someone who does, and it was remarked that true joy fills a father or a mother when their children do well with what their parents have blessed them with. Do you find that to be true? True joy is felt within a parent when their children do well with what they have blessed them with. That's what I've been told, and... I think it's true. In fact, the Encyclopedia Britannica begins their entry on parenting in the following manner. It says that parenting is the process of raising children and providing them with protection and care in order to ensure their healthy development into adulthood. It must be right, because not only was it on the internet, it was in an encyclopedia on the internet. But I think it is true. I I really do. Now with this this definition of parenting in mind, uh, listen again to verse 11 of the passage we have read. If you, then though you are evil, or can be translated evil as sinful, if you, then though you are sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Let me tell you something, church. If a secular encyclopedia can express that parenting entails providing one's children with care and protection, if we can understand that on a basic, basic, excuse me, cognitive level, just simply living in the world, How much more does God want to care for and protect us? Because we are His children. We are the children of God. That that is what we are, as 1 John 3 and verse 1 tells us. We are the children of God. And if at any moment we begin to doubt God's care for us, may we remember that we are to cast all our cares upon Him, for He cares for us. That's God's care. And if at any moment we be God's protection, may we remember that, yea, though I walk 
through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort, or, as it can also be translated, protect me. God's care and protection to ensure our healthy development into the adulthood of our faith. You see, though these are only a couple of examples of God's care and protection over us, His, His children, I could spend all day reading more passages from God's love letter, the Father's love letter to His children, reminding you and I that God really does have our best interest in heart and in mind. But just because God has our best interest and heart in mind, that does not always mean that we will. I know that's hard to believe that you're not perfect. I know that's hard to believe I'm not perfect. I mean, woo, you know, y'all maybe me, mm. No, no, just kidding. I am of the least. Stick around long enough, you'll see me flunder and bumble many times. God has got our best interests in mind, but that does not always mean that, that we do. And that's why I want to ask you, in human terms, why is it that we need to live for a time under our parents or even a guardian's, or a caring adult's roof for the beginning season of our lives. Why do we need to live with somebody in the, in the beginning stages of our lives? It's a simple answer, because we cannot do for ourselves. A baby needs someone to change its diaper, for it cannot change its own diaper. A toddler, wouldn't that be nice though? Woo! That's what somebody needs to do. They need to invent a changing table where you have nothing to do with it. Having kids would be more appealing to me if you could just set them on a machine. And that thing changes, wipes, and deodorizes all in one foul swoop. But the concept is until that comes about, even still then, a baby cannot change its, its own Diaper. A toddler needs someone to buy clothes for them because they cannot pay for clothes themselves unless they have allowance. But where does the allowance come from? Mom and dad. Because nobody's going to hire a toddler to do anything. That's just the reality of the life that, that we live. And a teenager needs direction in life because experience is the only thing that will show us the right way when the wrong seems to be so good. And I could go on and on with these such examples, and so could you think of, of some yourself. But even as life continues to wear on, children never stop seeking the advice of their parents as long as they live. And I know my mom, at times in her life, though her mother and her father are gone, there are times that we will talk, and she said, today I thought, in a difficult moment, what my mom would tell me to do. She had been through something like this. Think for just a moment. What, what would? Because even though our parents are gone, their advice is is still with us. We still 
seek the approval and the guidance of our parents. Children, we never give that up. Even though you become parents yourself, you, you never truly, it seems, as I've been told, give that up. I know I don't want to stop seeking advice from my parents. I don't always want to hear it, but they are ultimately smarter than I am. Putting that into practice works a lot better than what I thought that I needed to do. On some occasions, sometimes I'm right on. You're right on. Our children, your children might be right on, but not always. Church, our Father God is always there. Even though our parents leave this old world, our Father God is always there to guide us. No matter if we are a babe in Christ or we are a seasoned believer. He desires every day to be an active participant in our lives, able to guide us like no other, for He not only created the world, but the Bible tells us that He lived in it. For again, the Bible says, for this reason, He had to be, that is Jesus, made like them, that is us, fully human in every way, in order that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest, the person who goes in intercession between God and man, he might be a faithful and merciful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement, that is, rightness, for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are themselves being tempted. And because Jesus lived as us, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Church, we needed and we still need Jesus because to God we will always be children who do not always know what is best for us. Paul himself said in Romans chapter 7 and verse 21, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Let me read that one more time. So I find it to be a law that is close at hand. Paul did not say that this was a theory. This is one of the most literal translations of the Scriptures, the English Standard Version. Paul didn't say that this was a theory, but with authority as an apostle, this principle is law, that when we do good, evil is right behind us. It was proven true time and time again in each circumstance in his life. And it's proven true in our lives too, because as children... Though we may think we know what is best for us, and in some cases we will be absolutely right, but in other cases we could not be more wrong. That it is not exactly what's best for us, what we wanted. When we were eight years old, our life experience could never outweigh that of our parents. And then when we are 80 years old, our life experience will never outweigh that of God's infinite expanse and God always knows how to do what is right in every circumstance. Amen? So then in hearing this, how can we even begin to pray knowing that we do not always know what is best 
for us. How can we even begin to pray knowing that what we many times want, sometimes want, is not always best for us or for the kingdom of God or for our families or for our friends? How how do we pray? The answer is very simple. With persistence. Pray more. But we pray with persistence for what we desire in God's will. There is nothing wrong with praying for our desires, but we must pray for them in God's will. Every time. Every time. When we know that our Father knows what we need before we ask Him, we then need to bring our petitions, our requests, to God asking that even in what we desire, His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, for this is how Jesus taught us to pray. Pray for your daily needs, He said in His model prayer. Pray for your life. Pray that you not fall into temptation. Pray. But pray all these things that you pray in God's will. That it will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I realize that we may be disappointed when our prayers are not answered how we had initially hoped. And I have been disappointed on many occasions myself for the very same reasons. That God did not answer my prayers as I hoped. I think all of us could probably at some time agree that we have been disappointed that God had not answered our prayers as we initially hoped. But two factors are at work here when we do not get what we ask for in prayer. The first is consider this question. Just suppose that God answered our prayers every time as we had asked them. What would happen if God answered our prayers every time as we had asked them? Let me ask you this question to put it back in the realm of our humanity. What would happen to a child whose parents let them do everything their hearts desired from touching a hot stove eye to walking into oncoming traffic? What would happen? What would happen? I think C.S. Lewis put it best when he said, If God had granted all the silly prayers I've made in my life, where should I be now? That's a question left best unanswered in my opinion. What if God had answered all the silly prayers in my life? Where should I be now? That's the first factor at work when God does not answer our prayers as we initially had hoped. The second factor that's at work is that our Father invites us each time we pray to know His will as we grow in Him. This time, we may not have received the answer that we thought that we would or that we hoped for, but this time should cause us to think What was it that God truly wanted? What was it that God truly wanted? 
this may lead us to see that our will and our prayers was not in line with, with Him this time. But next time, our prayer should be, our aim should be, let me pray differently that my prayer might be more in line with the will of God. This is what it means to grow in Christ's likeness, to become more like Him, that we grow more in line with the mind and the will of God. This is the sort of transformational thinking that Paul calls the believer to in Romans chapter 12 in verse 2 that says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, that's growth. And when you do this, then you will be able to test and approve of what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Church, the Bible tells us that we can know God's will, but it takes growth. And it takes seeing that our will is not always right and that our will is not always just. We are told by God that our ways are not His ways and our thoughts are not His thoughts. And I am really glad. Because even if He just chose me, you think the world screwed up now? Ha! Ah. If it was Sin City inside my head that was in this world, oh, mercy. That computer game world would look really weird if applied to ours. The church, God knows what is best. And He wants us, He implores us, He invites us to be a part of His world, His higher plane. And He wants us to make his world, part of our world. He invites us to participate in that when we see that our will is not always right and it's not always just. At times it is going to hurt when we do not receive the answers that we want when we pray, especially when it has to do with somebody else who is close to us in our life. Those are the times I think that we hurt the most when our prayers are not answered when it involves someone else who is in our life that is special to us. Even though it's going to hurt not to receive the answers that we want when we pray, that should not stop us from praying on. That should not stop us from asking, seeking, and knocking. For though this time we may not have asked for the right thing, we may not have sought the proper way, or we may not have knocked on the correct door, God will cause us to grow in Him so that next time we will remember how much better God's will was than what we wanted last time, which will make it easier for us to pray now. For we understand that Father truly knows what is best. He desires, as I remind myself of this, more and more each day, that He wants us to participate in what He sees, what He desires, because He knows it's better than what we may want to get ourselves into. He certainly knows what's better for our families. 
He knows what's better for our world. And if he really does know what's better, I think it's an obvious answer. Why, why would we not want that? Why would we not want that too? Would you pray with me? Father, I just come to you humbled in understanding that I am not perfect. None of us are. There's one perfect person that's walked the face of this earth and we crucified him. Our sins put this perfect lamb on the cross. And though hell laughed, scorned in his death, Lord, there was victory. It came as a result of the shed blood that covers all who have ever sinned and all who will sin until you call us home. And what great victory there is in eternal life for those who believe and accept and, and allow that cleansing blood to wash over us anew. Lord, I just pray that, very simply, that you will help us see your will more and more each time. That you will help us, Lord, to focus upon you solely. To live in your ways and your truth and your, your righteousness more today than we did yesterday and more tomorrow than we did today. Help us keep our focus, our attention fixed on you. That we might be strengthened in you. For Father, you know our needs before we ask. Because of that, we look to you, desire you, and strive to be more like Jesus. Help us in that as we go about our ways and our days, and help us in that as we pray, with persistence, that your will be done for us and for others on earth as it is in heaven. Let that be the case for someone here today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read something that someone gave me a few weeks ago that sort of took my breath away when I thought about my prayers. I asked God to take away my pride, and God said no. He said it was not for Him to take away, but for me to give up. I asked God to make my handicapped child whole, and God said no. He said her spirit is whole, her body is only temporary. I asked God to grant me patience and God said no. He said that patience is a byproduct of tribulation. It isn't granted, it's earned. I asked God to give me happiness and God said no. He said that He gives blessings. Happiness is up to me. I asked God to spare me pain and God said no. He said, suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. I asked God to make my spirit grow, and God said no. He said that I must grow on my own, but He will prune me to make me fruitful. I asked God if He loved me, and God said yes. He gave His only Son to die for me, and I will be in heaven someday because I believe. I asked God to help me love others 
as much as he loves me. And God said, ah, finally, you have the idea. God is more than able to answer our prayers, and He certainly is willing. But He only wants to bless us and not to harm us. And sometimes that means not giving us what we thought we wanted, but what we really needed. Maybe you've been offering a prayer for some time. Maybe you're offering one right now. Maybe something's coming about in your life and you haven't started praying about it, but you know you need to. I would encourage you today to lay that burden down at the cross. Don't bear that cross on your own, but give it to Jesus. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden it is light. Let Jesus bear your load with you. Let Jesus help take that load from you. And you stop realizing that it's what I want, but Lord, what you want I know is better for me especially if we've been struggling, trying to traverse ground on our own that we really needed other help with. If that's you, I pray that you'll lay that burden down at the cross this morning. If there's something in your life that's just been causing you to struggle and, and writhe in pain and agony, whether physically or spiritually, mentally, emotionally, whatever it might be, I pray that you will lay it down today. Let Jesus take it Lay it at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, let your will be done here as you see it fit in heaven. Because he sees the big picture when all we can see is what's directly in front of us. And if you've never accepted Christ, may you do that today. May you begin by asking God to take greater place in your heart than he ever has before. That you might come to know him as he wants to know you. Whatever your need might be, whatever burden you might have that you're bearing, I pray that you'll bring it today to the Lord. Lay it down, pray that you might be blessed. Offer that invitation to anyone who will accept it as we stand and we sing.